Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. Are you still listening? Good. Take a deep breath. You needed a break. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. So, yes, you can literally stream a stream. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation. Good morning, it's Friday, February 28th, and you are listening to the College Football Daily, a 24-7 sports podcast dedicated to catching you up on and breaking down the day's college football news. My name is Connor Tapp, and we're taking a break from the headlines today to bring you another interview that Chris Hummer did with an active Power 5 head coach. If you're a dedicated listener, you know that last week he talked to Arizona State head coach Herm Edwards. Go check that one out if you missed it. And this week, Chris talked to Oregon State head coach Jonathan Smith, staying in the Pac-12, about the unique approach the Beavers have taken to the transfer portal under his leadership. If you remember, Smith's hire three years ago did not exactly elicit a lot of praise from the college football media, but Oregon State went 5-7 and seven last year, and they're heading into year three under Smith, and it seems like his program is in remarkably good shape. So I think you'll find his perspective on how he's gotten here pretty interesting. When the transfer portal debuted in October of 2018, did y'all have an idea of what the portal would be and a plan to ha- in terms of how y'all would address needs? Um, I don't think it was on the forefront of, you know, like we had some elaborate plan um, going in. Um, just because no one really knew, you know, how active kids were going to be on it, how uh, how fluid it would be. Um, there's a reason, you know, guys are going on the portal. Um, and so we, we didn't have no any elaborate plan, but we did feel like we wanted to look into it because I just feel at our place, really anywhere you're always trying to build your roster and and you use every avenue available and that became a new avenue and so we we did want to pursue and look into and and see how it uh you know kind of all played out how quickly you guys would go on the portal and then get recruited how quickly was it just a two-day stint they already knew where they were going uh so we just kind of kept our eye on it and and then as it's played out yeah we've we've got a few guys on it, uh, and at the same time, uh, we've lost or subtracted a few guys, and so that things work for both addition and subtraction. I assume, and assumptions are always a dangerous thing, transfers were always a part of your roster building plan, because I believe the quartet of Nebraska players y'all added were in before the transfer portal kicked off, right? We had, with those guys, uh, and then uh, we got a, a transfer from Oklahoma, Addison Gums. Yeah, um, mine I can he, he uh, All those guys were before the actual portal. And so I think we got an early tag on, like, we were super active on the thing. Well, I mean, maybe half the guys transfer-wise we had gotten were actually before the portal. Even if it's the portal or not the portal, you have to go through a vetting process to see if a player is going to be a good fit. Can you take me through your staff's process in terms of identifying a target, vetting them, and communicating with them? Right. But once the, the name goes in the portal, um, oftentimes as we look at the portal, it's really for a position-specific need. Um, I'm looking for a little bit older, more ready-to-play need, whatever position it is. So 
anyhow, I'm going to go on a portal, and then uh, one of our guys on staff, if they have a relationship that was built through recruiting or remembering him out of high school, uh, a connection that way. Because, you know, since we were still a little bit newer staff, we had guys come from different programs that recruited different areas. We had a larger net uh, than uh, others. Like our defensive coordinator, for an example, was at Wisconsin. And so they didn't really recruit the Northwest. His recruiting ties were out into the Midwest and even into Florida. And and so our net of background on on players was a little larger than strictly on on the West Coast. So anyhow, he's on the portal. If we had some background information of remembrance from recruiting or knew the high school coach well, um, we'd kind of start there and, and going back to the high school coach. We definitely uh, try to talk to the university they're leaving because, again, there's always a reason kids are on the portal and try to if we know an assistant coach or head coach there. Uh, we talk to them. And then because of the recruiting rules now, depending on the calendar, I mean, shoot, you can guys bring these guys on, on visits or they can visit campus unofficially and, and we pursue that process if it all checks out off of the background info we gather. Was there a guy the last two transfer cycles that you were maybe a little surprised was interested in you given a lot of the guys you have taken have moved cross country to come to Oregon? Um, you know, obviously, you know, surprised is a little bit strong. Like we feel pretty confident in what we're doing around here and the opportunity. I, that? The other reason I don't think I'm overly surprised because some of these guys need a second shot, right? For whatever reason, the first time didn't work out. And they're they're not probably going to get a third opportunity. And so in regards to their second opportunity, they want to go a place where they can compete right away and ideally get on the field and have a pretty good chance to do it. And so we get that in place a lot of uh, because we are kind of up and coming. Um, like I'll give you Addison Gums from Northern California. Northern California goes to, and then, uh, you know, because you somewhat wanted to get back to the West Coast, but also he's looking for an opportunity to make a difference pretty quickly. Uh, you know, that was one that maybe was out of the normal or ordinary. For the most part, outside of the transfer you took from Portland State this year, Corbin, every transfer has at least two years of eligibility remaining. What went into the strategy of ultimately patience with those guys as most of them had to, to sit for a year? Well, in our first two years in this program, I knew this thing was going to take some time to get it flipped around. And so I didn't want to try to go quick fix, meaning a one-year player, you know, just plug and play him for one year and then he's out. So we did pursue the transfers or the idea of an older player, but multiple years of eligibility because of, like I said, we, you know, it's going to take a little bit of a little bit of time, and we wanted to be able to work with these guys. And so, yeah, Foreman's the only one. I guess, you know, Caleb coming for the one year, but he's he's walked on. We haven't spent the scholarship on a one year player besides Corbin, and that's just because we lost three starting old linemen. He played a bunch of football. Uh, it's a little bit. We feel good about some of our young old linemen, but it allows them maybe another year to to develop uh, because. Like the the guys that we have gotten, like had three years to play or had at the time, Avery Roberts, Tristan Jebby, Tyjon Lindsay, Addison Gums, all of those guys came and they, yeah, they had to fit, but they still had three years to play after that. Uh, and so that was some of the logic. Even Trayshawn Harrison now, he's got two years of eligibility still remaining. There's a chance he sticks the plays, you know, it's still in the waiver process. 
But if he has to sit, he still we still got him for two more years after that. And that's what we wanted to do. We didn't really pursue a lot of guys that only had you know the were just one year players. Nathan Eldridge um, from Arizona was actually a grad transfer, but he also had two years to play. Played for six years. Yeah, and then yeah. so there's definitely we wanted multiple years for where the program was at. Rebuilding isn't easy and a lot goes into it. But in terms of the flexibility to take those guys, was that maybe a slight advantage being where you were in terms of the fact that you can have one of your 85 slots allotted to somebody who can't play the next season? Um, you know, I I just think it's a, a, a strategy for, for us to be, to continue to improve year after year when you can have, it's more or less getting a new player after you redshirt for a year, and then you got him for two years. And there's some benefit for a guy having to spend a year of getting acclimated to the place, learning the team. You know, it's a it's a built-in redshirt for development, and then you probably get the best football you can um, because they've been around the place for a year. So I think there's some advantages to redshirting just a general uh, for uh you get their best football. Like, you know, even the thought of, you know, there's true freshmen playing all over the place and a lot of them are really good and well-deserving. They do well. I just still feel like they'll be even better in their fifth year senior than their true freshman year. And, uh, that's our approach a little bit. And we've, we've got some time and we want to build this thing for the long haul, not just having quick fix one year and, and going out. How does adding a lot of these guys who were mostly really highly recruited coming out of high school aid in raising the program's baseline talent level? Yeah, I think you know the better players, the better higher talent level you have. Um, I think it's been a lot of positive. Some of it is because we we did have some guys that that played for us this year. You know, in regards to we were transfers, they had the city year, they came over and played. I mean, Avery Roberts led our team in tackles. Mm-hmm. Um, he said that last year, and and now he's still got two more years to play. He takes notice of, you know, the opportunity that he's come over and taken advantage of, and and done really well. You know, Tristan Jebby is in line right now to uh, have a great chance to be our starting quarterback next year. And two years to play, started again this last year. Uh, Tajon cut a couple, couple touchdowns this year, and still got two. And so I guess what I'm trying to make again is, yeah, it helps when a higher profile you sign them, get them in the program, and then they go and do good things, then other recruits take notice of that. That leads into my next question. Does having the success y'all have had with transfers and potentially with a transfer starting quarterback this year and Tristan, how does that aid you in your recruiting pitch to other transfers? Yeah, I, I think it's part of the the recruiting message to them is that, uh, you know, other guys in similar situations or scenarios have, have come to our place and earned, but have, have earned playing time and done well with it. I think that's no different than even the high school kids when you're recruiting them. Maybe we've got a, a kid on their team that from their high school or been in their league and lived the experience coming up there. And like it. I think you're, you're always pointing out the positives and the development that is taking place here for, for the recruits you're talking to. Does the transfer portal allow you in some ways to pursue players who maybe you would not have been able to pursue coming out of high school? I think I'm sure to an extent. Yeah, I think there's other reasons too. We feel like we can uh, talk to more and more. Some of it just because I think people are taking notice of some of the progress we're making. I mean, we're not arrived by any stretch, but I think 
progressing and people are taking notice of that. And, uh, and then, yeah, I, I think the kids that are juniors, sophomores and juniors right now in high school probably know of some of the names because they were whatever, freshmen and, and seeing these highly regarded recruits coming to our place. Where does the transfer portal fit in terms of your roster construction strategy? Not necessarily a percentage, but how do you look at building a roster year after year with the transfer portal in mind? Yeah, yeah, it, it, it's. I couldn't give you a percentage. I do think that, um, we're, like I said earlier, we're going to try to use every avenue to uh, to build a roster through high school, junior college, walk on development, and and now the transfer portal. And you're right on. This roster management is not. Uh, you know, because you have some exodus for some reason. Some guys, you know, development takes another year longer than maybe you'd like, and uh, you got to fill a gap. Uh, and so we, we're aware of it. And some of it's like you can hold scholarships. You know, so much is you got 85, but you only got 25 initials. You know, and balancing those two numbers and saving initials for later um, it can be a strategy which we've used before. I I think we might have one left um, before this kind of fall starts. And so, you know, you, you keep one in your pocket for, for the guys that might be leaving in the summertime or thing. So it's definitely a part. I don't have a percentage of, like, we're trying to fill our roster with this percentage of transfer, this percentage of high school, anything like that, because it's so much by, by position and where you're at. The only thing kind of set in stone for us, probably shouldn't say only, but you know, you're trying to shoot for a certain amount uh, of scholarships per position. You know what I'm saying? So whatever, four quarterbacks on scholarship, five running backs, seven tight ends, just you know, you know we've got that as a target. You mentioned keeping one in your pocket if someone pops up in the summer. In this era, are you almost incentivized to keep one or two scholarships flexible? Yeah, I think more and more are being more flexible. I mean, we're not talking a huge number, but it's nice to have. Uh, I was talking to another head coach in this league, but he's he's kind of having the same thought of keeping one or two, and it because it is. I mean, these guys are are departing. I mean, after spring practices take place, even getting into fall camp, uh, there there are players available almost year round now, not just in sunny day of December or February. That's going to do it for today's episode of the College Football Daily. Today's episode is a companion to Chris Hummer's written feature on Oregon State, which will be up on 247sports.com by the time you're listening to this. If you appreciate what we're doing here on the podcast, please express your support by leaving us a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. As I, as we mentioned on Twitter uh, we and, and on the podcast, we are asking for your reviews as a means to give us some suggestions of topics Topics we can dive into here during the off season. One of those has one of your suggestions has already made it onto our content calendar for next week. So congratulations. We'll we'll have more details on that next week, but keep that coming. For Trey Scott, Chris Hummer, and our producer Tony Levitt, I'm Connor Tapp, and we'll see you on Monday for the next edition of the College Football Daily.
Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts.